Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. Scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of Matthew, the 11th chapter, and beginning with the 7th verse. And the scripture so reads, As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowd concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to behold? A reed shaken by the wind? Why then did you go out? To see a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, those who wear soft raiment are in king's houses. Why then did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send a messenger before thy face, who shall prepare thy way before thee. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the day of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and men of violence take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to their playmates. We piped to you, and you did not dance. We wailed, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So wisdom is. And may God help us to understand from whence our wisdom comes. We come now to the close of a year and looking forward to the beginning of a new year. It is at this time of the year that you and I think about all the good things that we want to happen this coming year, because we know the great possibilities of every one of them coming to pass, and so we think about our New Year's resolutions, our vows, our desires, our wishes, for ourselves, for the church, and for the world. We think about the health, and wealth, and peace, and happiness. And all the other wonderful things that at this time of year we become conscious of and begin to think in terms of. And we ought to have a few New Year's resolutions and we ought to make them and we ought to try to stick to them as best we possibly can. I cannot think of anything worse than be someone to never give any thought to to what the possibilities are that God has laid out for them in this coming year. So it's something we ought to address ourselves to, being serious of mind and heart, and lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ and members of the kingdom of God. How could we do that? And so we do. But have you ever thought about your church as having desires and wishes 
Have you ever thought about your church making a New Year's resolution? You know, it's an interesting thing about a church, and it's beautiful. And I don't mean to say anything to criticize by what, by what I'm saying. And that is that every church has a unique personality of its own. There's no two churches alike as is there are no two human beings alike. We may be close, same family, so on and so on. But there's a difference. And there's a distinct difference. A uniqueness that is absolutely astounding. Now our church has a certain personality. As we fit ourselves together and part of this body of Christ, the sum total of our personalities and our, as we labor and work together brings forth a type of a personality of the church. And, and this church does have a personality. They're an interesting one. I'm still trying to understand it, but I'm working on it. But it has desires too. If our church could speak to us this morning, we wonder what it would say as it thinks about the coming year. Well, now, dear ones, I'm guessing. I think I know. Maybe you would have a different list of things. As all I'm trying to do this morning anyway is just to stimulate your thinking in order that you might think about your church, who you are, and what you are, and what God has called us together to be. And I have put it to first list because I am conscious of it, I suppose, that the church had a desire and could put it into words. I think that she would say to us, well, I desire for my people that my people... I would renew their vow. And especially the one where it has something to say with the churchmanship. And especially the one that has something to say, as I read to these three young people that stood here this morning, will you be loyal to, to be loyal to something? To renew that one, I will be loyal to the Methodist church. I will be loyal to the church. You know, the Methodist church... Uh, there was a very unique piece of machinery. Now, some people might look at the Methodist Church and say it's uh, not a very complicated church, but the Methodist Church is one of the most complicated churches in existence. The only other church is more complicated than it is, perhaps, is the Roman Catholic Church. And now, it's our way of doing things. This is a Methodist Church. In fact, it was started out, you remember, when John Wesley started out, they made fun of him because he had a method and a time for doing everything. He ate at a certain time, slept at a certain time, he prayed at a certain time, and, and in the school where uh, these uh, young people were meeting together and study groups uh, with John Wesley, uh, his classmates, uh, to make fun of this group, called them Methodists, because they had a method for everything. Well, we haven't lost a bit of it. We, we've added to it, you know, as the years come and go, and as a result of it, we got a great big, thick book, as some of you know, that we call the Discipline of the Methodist Church, and it has the procedures of the Methodist Church, and sometimes it takes a Philadelphia lawyer to understand what you're saying. But we have a complex church, and it's a unique church, and it's a great church, and we have all avowed, before we became members of it, ever last living one of us, and I more than others, because being a preacher, they make you do it two or three times. But uh, no one forced me to, no one forced you to, at least I hope not. I will be loyal to the Methodist Church. Loyalty in this day in which we live is needed and it's necessary and it's a must. And I cannot tell you how much violence that you do, especially to your young people, uh, when you criticize your church in front of them. 
There's been many a young people that's been turned off by the Methodist church and by the church simply because you understood what you were saying and you were not as vicious as your words sound like they were, but you criticized the church. And as a result of it, you wonder why your young people and your children is not responding to the call of the church. I will be loyal to the Methodist church. I wish we would be as the man that I remember because I saw some old pictures here this past week still unpacking them I've years gone by, and I remember this guy. He's a big man, about 3,000 miles away from home, a little town of Herzogenrath, Germany, next to the Black Forest. The war was over, and I had about 45 men send me life, 45, 65, I've forgotten, didn't belong to And it was my responsibility. I used to be a mess sergeant. You didn't know that. My wife doesn't know it either. But anyhow, my responsibility to see that these men were fed. And so I gladly took on the responsibility because the big outfits were breaking up and was all being transferred into different ones. And I didn't have enough points to come home. And so they sent me back into Germany. And I was in charge of these 45 men to see that they were fed. Well, I went out in a little town and gathered up the best cooks that I could find. And in that town was a man that cooked on a liner that ran between Germany and the United States, and he was a cable one, put him in charge, and boy, did we ever eat. I mean, we really did. Plenty of game there, wild boar, pheasant, duck, and venison. And being a hunter, we did quite well. Well, anyway, I remember these people, you know, were mean. Uh, they didn't mean to be mean, but they were trained by the best experts in the world to be fighters, and... If they didn't have someone to fight, we fought among ourselves. And I remember, I don't know why it started over, but this guy came in and all of them were armed with 45s and everything else, you know. And he came in for some reason about uh, half drunk and he and his buddies, about five of them, and they were going to wipe out the mess personnel. And they were going to start with me. I always get noise. And he, this, this man was, uh, was mean. They were all pretty mean. And this old buddy I'm talking about was standing there, and he was the flight sergeant. And he looked like a football, mean, who's that guy on TV, the football player, that mean guy? Well, anyway, this guy was about ready to take us apart, and all of them were armed. And I will never forget the longest day I lived, the supply sergeant, big, football type of a character. He just said to this guy, he says, now listen. He says, you can't talk to the, to our cooks like that. You just can't do that. And with that, he grabbed that man by the collar, turned him around, and by the seat of the pants, and threw him through the door. Now, folks, I mean to tell you, he went through the door. Not a glass door, panel door, but he went through the door halfway to the outside. You can't talk about the cooks like that. Oh, to God. Oh, to God. But I were body and parts of those in the kingdom of God that saw the church being the body of Christ, the greatest thing that you can belong to. And I will not listen to someone criticize the church like that. Now, yes, we have our faults, and we will talk about them. But there's no room for vicious criticism 
of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. I will be loyal to it. I will pray for it. How many of you have prayed for the leaders of your church? How many of you have prayed for those of us who have acted early? We need your prayer. Perhaps the weakness of the Methodist church is to be found here. I don't know. Even there was a time our church started in a prayer meeting. There was a time when we called people to pray. Just nothing but to pray. Prayer meeting. Have we forgotten how to pray? Is this our weakness? Do we undergird one another with the greatest thing we have to undergird them with? And that is to talk to our Heavenly Father about one another. Oh, to reaffirm. I am going to express myself by giving. The giving to the church. I'm going to be more generous. Be more generous with my church. What do you have to lose? I want to tell you, you have nothing to lose by giving to the church to the kingdom of God. I'm going to serve him better. I'm going to pay more attention to my church. What is it that you pay attention to? In your scheme of things, as you go about your daily living, what is it that you give your time to? Let me look at what you give your time to, and I will tell you what is important to you. Well, where does your church come? Oh, I can hear my church now. Oh, that my people might pay attention to me. Serve. To serve. To serve. Reaffirm my news resolution is to get my people to reaffirm their vows. Secondly, be devoted to my Christ. Don't get lost in the maze of things that would take your eye from the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep around the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep around the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I like what Jesus said here about John. A man firm in the faith and knew who he was and what he was. And Jesus said, well, what did you come apart to see? Did you come apart to see a man that's dressed in the clothes of a king or from the king's palace? Soft clothing. Tender fields. You know what you came apart to see? Here old John was out there, looked more like an animal than a man, dressed in animal clothing. His diet uh, wasn't too good, but it sustained him. Locust and wild honey, whatever that was. I understand the wild honey, but not the locust. What did you come out to see? Did you come out to see a man committed to the kingdom of God like any prophet of old? Or did you come out to see a reed shaken in the wind, every breeze that blows, he bends with it? You know, I want to tell you something. Take a good look at this man because this is in effect what you ought to be. What shall I like in this generation too, he said. There's nothing can be done upon the God's earth that can please you. That's what Jesus said to his people. He said, do you like the kids down in the marketplace? They said, when they're down there playing, one of them says, well, I'm not going to play with you because uh, uh, when we were piping for you to dance, well, you wouldn't dance. Another says, I'm not going to play with you either because when we were playing the funeral service, uh, you wouldn't play dead. I guess that's what they meant. <laughs> you wouldn't play with us. And we come to the place in our life where we cannot be united and committed to any one positive thing that would cause us to set aside everything else within our life and say this is a thing that we're really devoted to and that is the Lord Jesus Christ.
committed, devoted, dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, if the church could speak. I know what it would say. It may say a lot of other things, but I know the church would say this. Oh, that you would love my Christ. That you would love my Christ. And dear ones, if we fail to love the Christ of the church, you tell me in the name of God what else matters. What else matters? Third thing. Oh, that you would love one another. New Year's resolution, that you'd love one another. You know, there was a young preacher that I was in college with and did part of our seminary work together. He worked here a while and decided that he would transfer out into the Dakotas, and he did. And spent the rest of his days out there. Here about a couple of years ago, he had a heart attack and died. I was on his mailing list that he, from his church, and they sent the bulletin, the weekly bulletin to, to me. And I was interesting to see the last thing that this man had to say to the church before he died. And one of the things that he stated within the last article that he had written was he could not understand why God's people could not love one another more. To love one another, to listen to what we try to say to each other. The need for a response. To be able to say so. You know, it's interesting. We can talk about anything else upon the face of God given earth and not be embarrassed about it. But when it comes down to a place where we talk about love and loving one another, we freeze up. We can't do it. Some of the most profound experiences that I've had, and I've told you about them already, one or two of them. And I'll tell it to you again. I was in the hospital, Methodist Hospital, and here was a man dying, and his friend was there. And both of them knew that the, the man that was dying knew that he was dying. And his friend that was there knew it was the last time that he'd seen him alive. And so they were saying goodbye in my presence. Awesome situation. So he stood up to say goodbye. And the well man put his arm around his friend. First time I am sure that he told him how much he meant to him. Tragic. Oh, if we would just put into words and say what we feel and what we think. If you hold someone in the high esteem, say so. If you see someone doing a job, say so. If you love someone, say so. It doesn't have to be any other involvement outside of that. But we have such a heavy sexual connotation with love that it's very difficult for us to say that we care for one another. Oh, what a tragedy and what a shame. I remember this situation. It's burned in my mind. Two little fellows, this happened about two years ago at the other church, a little boy and a little girl. And this little boy, I think his mother fed him pep pills every morning before he sent him to kindergarten because he came in all charged up. I mean, tell you, he was always If I had that much energy, no telling what I'd do. Well, anyway, drive everybody nuts problem. And so the teacher couldn't handle he and this little girl. So she thought the preacher could do something. So she sent down to the office. So I received them into the office. Now they have a great big table, conference table over there in part of that study. And they have these great big chairs. And so I thought that I would intimidate the little characters a little bit. So I pulled them up to the table and set one in the chair here and one right here in the chair together. Now these chairs got great big arms comes upon them. And the little fellows have to sit up like that, you know. And so there the 
two of them, I got them lined up there, and I looked as mean as I could. And I chose my best words. I've forgotten what to say, but I know there's good words, because he kept going down in that chair, smaller and smaller. And this little girl kept her eyes straight on me, but she knew I was getting awful hard on her little friend. And that little hand, she never moved her eyes from me, that little hand stole under the arm of that chair over and caught his hand. Now, what do you say? This little buzzard, I mean that little kid, that little child, he straightened up in that chair, and I didn't intimidate him at all. When this, his little friend, communicated to him that she was there, and wonder what it said to him. I don't know what it said to him, but he stood up in that chair, and he looked at me as mean as he could. And I want to tell you something, I was so impressed. I, you see, as long as I live in charge of my middle faculty, I can see that picture right now. Oh, to God, wouldn't it be wonderful if we had to die? When life gets hard, and things begin to fall apart, and becomes difficult to live, and, and to keep your sanity. That someone would extend a hand and touch me or say something to me or communicate some way to me that you're not alone. We are together in this business of living. And then you might be surprised. Stand a little taller, walk a little straighter, and be able to be the person that God intended for me to be, are more perfectly so. Oh, the church could simply say, create a place together. As you work together in love, a place where people can meet the Lord Jesus Christ. A place where we can demonstrate to one another and to this world in which we live that there is care and concern, that we're going to participate together in the kingdom of God and we're going to do it in such a spiritual way that power will be released in this sanctuary right here. And the stranger and the one that Christ is speaking to, the one that the Holy Spirit is dealing with, and the one that he's called, they will hear him speak and not only hear him, but they will be encouraged to come to this altar and commit their heart and their soul to Christ without feeling ashamed are being embarrassed by it. Oh, we as Methodists have always believed in the altar, place where you meet God. And we, with such love, such respect, such care and concern for one another, that even the stranger would know and feel the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. I close by telling you a story that Ted Hightower said happened to him he used to be the great preacher of St. Paul Methodist Church, the great church here in our city. Some of you are familiar with it. Well, there was a lady leaving the church one day, some 90 years of age, and she went across the street there, Bargetown Road. And she walked out in the street, and there was a couple ran into her and just knocked her senseless. They took her to the hospital. And no bones broken, but she was shut up and stayed for a day or two. Got out of the hospital, and those uh, who were her counselors told her that uh, she should sue the couple, pay her hospital bills, and whatever other bills that she had. 
The couple who ran into her got in charge with her, got in touch with her and told her, said, uh, well, now we have insurance and the insurance doesn't pay off you sue us. That's what we have insurance for. Her counselors told her to do sue. And she says, now listen here. She says, I want to tell you something right now. She says, there's not going to be any suit around here. I'm not suing anybody. No one. No one's going to be sued. As much my fault as it were theirs. No one's going to be sued. Everything's going to be taken care of and forgotten. And this couple, when they heard that, called the preacher. And said, preacher, we want to talk to you. He said, okay, I'll be over. Went over and saw him. He said, this couple said, we're not Christians, but we want to be. We hear that this lady is a Christian and she belongs to the church there. That's right. Said, we want to, we want you to tell us how to be saved. Then we want you to tell us how to join that church. We want to belong to the church where this lady belongs. We want to belong. Oh, that my people would give a better witness to my saving ability and capability, my keeping ability. Dear one, the church does have a desire. And you know something? You're the only one that can fulfill that desire. You and me together. And if we don't do it, it's not going to be done. I would hope this morning that together that you and I, as we stand at this place of the closing year and beginning of a new one, that we could say this much is within our granting the church its desire. We together will do it. Oh, our Father. Help us to do it for the sake of our own souls and for those who are yet to come. For we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started in making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven.